Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure and honor to uh, speak to Professor Ignaz Vergot, who is at Leuven Cancer Institute uh, in Leuven, Belgium. And the reason for this podcast is the recently published article, uh, Oral Selenexor as Maintenance Therapy After First-Line Chemotherapy for Advanced or Recurrent Endometrial Cancer, a recent publication in the journal Clinical Oncology. Uh, Ignaz, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, Ignaz, uh, we'll we'll get started a little bit uh, talking about Selenexor. Um, this is a selective nuclear export inhibitor that uh, prevents um, mediated nuclear export. Um, can you briefly explain the function of uh, of this drug and the interactions with P53? Yes, um, indeed, Selenexor is an oral selective export in one nuclear export or SINI compound. And export one exports tumor suppressor proteins. And one of the most important ones is P53 away from the nucleus where the tumor suppressor proteins carry out their function. And what we also know is that tumor cells overexpress export in one and that tumor cells inactivate cytoplasmatic P53 through protein degradation. So by inhibiting export in one, like Senanexor does, this leads to retention of tumor suppressor proteins. And the most important one is, of course, P53. And retention of wild type P53 leads to cell death of the cancer cells. Very well. And um, for many, they may not be so familiar with the, the data um, pertaining to Selenexor. Can you... Uh, Tell us a little bit about the history of how the drug uh, developed to this current phase three trial. Yes. Um, so first I want to say that uh, FDA approved Selenexor for multiple myeloma mm -hmm. and uh, uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And I got acquainted with the drug in 2015 and then the drugs in hematology were ongoing and I was able to convince the company to also go for solid tumors. And so we did first, uh, years 2016, 17, um, the SIGN trial, which was the first trial in solid tumors, uh, which um, included, I think, 114 patients with ovarian, cervix, and endometrial cancer, where we explored also the dose twice weekly, once weekly, and the conclusion was once weekly, it was better tolerated and that we saw a disease control rate uh, in endometrial cancer of 35%. And that was interesting to me because uh, these were heavily pretreated endometrial cancers. So this was interesting. So we decided to go for a maintenance trial after first line or in advanced primary uh, endometrial cancer. That's Great. how it went. And then next was then the, the uh, Siendo trial. That yes. was the next. Yeah, and uh, with the Siendo trial, uh, when um, when designing that trial, what was the what was the focus of the question, and and what were some of the primary and secondary endpoints? Yes, so it's maybe important to say it started as an investigator initiated trial by myself, 
Hmm. Um, and uh, the sponsor in the beginning was the Belgian Gynecological Oncology Group. Later, I expanded the trial to NCOT, and then even later, GOG was joined, and CardioPharm took over as sponsor. This gives a little bit background how the study started. And we uh, included patients, uh, like I said, who responded, partial or complete response, after first-line patent-based chemotherapy, or primary advanced state, let's say stage four disease who needed chemotherapy and then was in response. Also important to mention is we stratified uh, for two things, primary stage four versus recurrent and partial response versus complete response and randomized them to 263 patients to Sidenexor 80 milligrams fixed dose versus placebo. The primary endpoint was PFS by investigator. Remember, it, it was an investigator-initiated study, so we we used invest PFS per investigator, but of course had OS safety, um, quality of life included, but also some subgroups uh, like histological subtype and molecular classification. So th this was planned from, from the start to analyze these subgroups. So that's, in a nutshell, how the study was set up <clears throat> very interesting and and interesting to know that it was initially an investigator initiated trial so congratulations uh, to you for putting this together um so ignis what were were the main findings uh, of the study what are some of the take-home messages and the, and the things you would like to highlight about this study um so what we what I first presented at ESMO preliminary and SGO in 2022 was the first analysis after 10 months follow-up. That's the first thing which I want to say. And that's also what we published in DCO, I think in September this year. Okay. And the PFS, the primary endpoint, was 5.7 months versus 3.8 months. So let's say about two months difference. And this the upper confidence interval uh, just crossed one, was 108. So the ITT was not significantly different, but we had, let's say, two months difference. Um, what we wanted to highlight is because at that, when I started the study, we didn't realize the importance of P53 wild-type versus mutant. Um, but at the time, we, we planned for subgroup analysis, but what was Probably the most important finding in this study and what we published in DCO is that in the P53 wild type, which is about 50% of the population, the PFS was 13.7 months versus 3.7 months. So th there was a, a big difference. And then later on, if I can, maybe I'll, I'll, I would like to explain what came later. So we presented at the ASCO plenary, Brian Slomovitz did this on behalf of GOG, and then also, we did it at ESCO and IDCS. Um, we presented the long-term PFS data. And there, we saw even more interesting things. The long-term, we mean a median uh, follow-up of 28 months instead of 10 months. And there, the P53 wild-type group only, which we concentrate now on, had the PFS, median PFS of 27 months versus the uh, five months for the control arm. So the control arm went one month up, but the, the Selenexa arm with longer follow-up had 27 months uh, PFS with a hazard ratio of 041. So this made it 
uh, really different and is also the basis of the next trial, the export of 42 trial, which is exactly the same trial or almost exactly the same trial, except that we now will randomize only patients with uh, NGS proven TP53 wild type uh, patients. Yeah, and we're really excited about uh, participating actually in that trial as well. Um, so Ines, uh, getting into some of the questions, uh, some of these questions were posed by the fellows in the journal. Uh, this one from Guido Balsaki in Argentina. Uh, his question is, could it be further explained as to why two analyses and intent to treat population and an audited stratification data were performed? Well, um what happened is that uh, during the trial, the monitors checked the trial and checked what the investigator put in the system, the randomization system for the stratification factors. And what was uh, catched was that in seven patients, the stratification factor CR or PR was wrong. Seven out of 263, that's I think 2.7% that the randomization stratification factor was wrong. This is not so so in, so exceptional. What is exceptional or what was a biohazard, I think, is that um, in the placebo arm, three PRs were, as a matter of fact, CRs, and in the still an exo arm, the opposite. And in addition, one PR became CR, meaning that the control arm got three more CRs and mm. three less PR, and the Selenexo arm, uh, two uh, PRs instead of CRs. And when you, and I explained that the hazard ratio and the confidence interval just crossed one with the ITT, but when you corrected for the, the what I think is the correct PR-CR, because that was that everything was blinded, the, the monitors didn't know what arm the patient was in, it was a double blind study. Mm -hmm. um, so when we used the correct CRPR, the capillary cost uh, switched a little bit and it was just significant. With that being said, I don't want to say that the Siendo study certainly is a positive study, but it's a signal. Mm -hmm. and it's a signal that uh, even though 50% of the patients was mutant, still we had a borderline significant data and we wanted to show this as well that that's the history of of uh, these two analyses excellent very well um now this question comes from Sida Sahin Akar in uh, Turkey and she's asking about the efficacy of selenexor or lack thereof in serous um endometrial cancers well that's obvious i think that's an easy question because serous endometrial cancer is in principle p53 mutant almost exclusively not all but most of them and if you keep mutant p53 in the nucleus by blocking exporting one this mutant p53 is not working so the drug can't work so that's why in serous we don't see a signal mm -hmm. very well um Question from Matt Wager in the University of Wisconsin. Uh, he asked, in the MMR proficient subgroup, Selenexor had a statistically significant benefit in progression-free survival compared to placebo. How should we interpret this in the context of GYO018, which demonstrated an improved progression-free survival 
with pembrolizumab in this same molecular subgroup, but with a four-month improvement in progression-free survival? Yes, well, well first of all, the 6.99 versus 5.4 in the uh, Selenexo study is for all patients. So it's not only for the P53 wild type patients. If uh, that we presented uh, at the ESCO plenary and also at IDCS, if you look on the TP53 wild type PMMR patients, the median PFS is even not reached after 28 months follow up versus five months for the control arm. So I think if you look on the P53 wild type PMMR group, uh, well, not reach, so at least 28 months versus five months. This is much more than in the GYO18 study, not saying that it's better, but at least it's, in my mind, very interesting to, to support the next study because I think uh, it's uh, quite probable that we see the same in the next uh, ex export 042 study. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's that, you know, again, focusing on that P53 wild type, which seems to be the target population. This uh, question also from Matt uh, Weger. He asked, time to first and second subsequent therapy was tracked for both the study and control groups and did not appear to be significantly different. Is there concern that progression following a biomarker-directed therapy, such as selenexure, could induce relative chemoresistance, similar to emerging data, we're seeing with PARP inhibitors? Well, I think there's a clear link between PARP resistance and uh, platinum resistance, and the opposite. If the tumor is plant sensitive, the chances at the time of recurrence that they will be sensitive for PARP are high. The same does not apply for Silinexor. It has a completely different mode of action. Uh, we looked at the time to first subsequent therapy in the first analysis. It's also published in DCO. And there, the difference in, was also two months in favor of Selenexor, I think 10 versus eight months. And also the time to second uh, subsequent uh, progression or therapy, therapy, I should say, was also two months difference, 16 versus 14. So the two months which you gain at the beginning in ITT, including again, P53 mutant patients, is two months for PFS, two months for TFST, and two months for TSST. So I don't see, read, I'm, I'm not worried about that. And I think, unfortunately, we have not done already the analysis for the P53 biotype only uh, analysis. Uh, once we have the final OS data uh, of the uh, P53 biotype patients, which we also presented, by the way, at IGCS and also saw, for instance, in the P53 biotype PMMR, we saw 23% deaths in the selenexor arm versus 43% also OS. It's immature. It's mm. only 30% mature, but also OS, we see an advantage. So I, I don't expect any problems in the P53 wild type group for time to first and second subsequent therapy. Excellent. Very well. Um, I think these two next questions, we could probably uh, combine them from our fellows. And uh, they referred to the use of selenextra according to molecular uh, subtype classification, um, which subgroups uh, would you consider that um, this treatment will be ideal for? Well, let me first talk about Paul. 
in this population, Paul is very rare. We only had four patients. So it's, and like we also saw in Ruby, for instance, they had five and they do very well. So Paul is, I don't think we can't really say much about it. Um, the question is, should we focus on NSMP, non-specific molecular profile? And I don't think so. I, I think we should concentrate on, on TP53 wild type. Why? Because copy number high patients rarely can be P53 wild type. That's rare. But on the other hand, copy number low patients, we see quite frequently TP53 mutation. This can be, we saw this also in, in our study and also in, in other studies. So uh, we don't like to look for uh, TP53 targeting drugs to the molecular NGS classification because it's not fine enough. I think it's better to say it should be TP53 wild type. It can be PMMR or DMMR. We see a little bit difference between DMMR and PMMR, but it also works in, in DMMR, P53 wild type, it's possible. So let's concentrate on TP, TP53 wild type and not on NSMP because this is not um, fine enough. Very well. Now, Ignaz, this, this question uh, comes from Luigi De Vitis, who is in Milan, Italy. Uh, I think more of a general question. Uh, and he asked, the major issue that needs to be addressed in gynecologic oncology is the underrepresentation of minorities in our trials. Um, in this study, about 90% of the population was white. Um, thinking about future trials, how can we potentially overcome this issue? Well, as I explained, this was a trial started in Belgium, in Leuven, as a matter of fact. Uh, and uh, in Europe, we don't have the same problem of minorities. We always have difficulties because they are not so frequent as in the US, for instance, and we don't have the same requests from EMEA, logically, as FDA. But it's clear that uh, the export of 42 and got the EN20, GOG3088, I think, 83. Um, that uh, this is more a global study, so we will have more non-white patients. And we discussed with Farm to have a diversity plan focusing on the operational work to have a more diverse population. It's a request from FDA, and of course, we will concentrate on that. But in Siendo, as I explained, the start of this, this was not possible. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and I know that that's something that here in the United States, we're being very proactive with regards to um, the the uh, the accrual of minorities into our trials, and and we'll be attentive to that in the export trial that will be coming up, as you mentioned. Um, this next question comes from Giuseppe Caruso, um, Italy, of course. Again, uh, now that immune checkpoint inhibitors have become a standard of care in the treatment of advanced or recurrent endometrial cancer. And given that they're used both in combination with chemotherapy and then as maintenance therapy, where do you see the role of Selenexer as maintenance therapy? Well, as I explained again, uh, I think I see the role in, in TP53 wild type. Um, maybe important to mention that in export, we uh, prior IO is allowed. So uh, I think in endometrial cancer, we don't know yet, but uh, we have studies like the Pembro study, um, we call it in Europe, the end of the N11. I've forgotten the, 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 
the Merck name, um, that the adjuvant trial might be positive. Is this is positive and they get IO and in the adjuvant setting, we will be able to include this patient and additional patients who get IO and get side effects and stop can be included in the export trial. So for me in the PMMR, I'm not yet convinced that uh, all these patients need IO at the time of first recurrence. Some will get it in the adjuvant setting. And I think for me, the GYO18 and Ruby trial are not convincing enough to uh, to say all patients need it. And in that respect, uh, maybe when I think about it, I want to mention the presentation of Ansel Mirza at ESMO of the Ruby trial, where he did the molecular subclassification in the Ruby results. And what you see is that in the PMMR, the difference in PFS is driven by the by the TP53 mutant group. In the P53 wild type group, PMMR, it's almost overlapping curves. Mm -hmm. So this is again a reason for me to believe that in the P53 wild type patients, you don't have to use um, IO. At least if this is, uh, it would be very nice to confirm this also in the GYO18 study, but um, based on the randomized data of Ruby subgroup analysis, according to molecular classifications, the PMMR effect of IO seems to be almost exclusively in the PMMR P53 mutant patients. So then again, I think we have to split more and more the patients according to molecular subclassification and to say, okay, TP53 wild type, PMMR, I would go for Selimexor. If it's mutant, probably based on Ruby, it's, it's better to use um, IO together with the chemotherapy. Yeah, so this is a great point, and I'm glad that uh, that you brought this up because that often comes up in discussions, and, uh, and I think you have articulated that very, very well, so thank you for, for highlighting that. Um, now, next question, actually, it's an interesting question. Recently, we had a, a podcast with Brian Slomovitz about use of hormonal therapy. This question is from Arsa Shu in uh, Taipei, Taiwan. Um, given that MMR-proficient patients are endometrial cancer and that these patients, if low-grade, might be eligible for hormone therapy, how would you prioritize patient treatment sequence in low-grade PMMR patients? Hormone therapy or Selenexor? Let me first say, I do not agree that the PMMR is endometroid. Um, PMMR is about 55% endometroid and the rest is serious or carcinosarcoma. So, so that's the first difference. Uh, for instance, a recent study from ANSCOG uh, with Durvalumab, 57% of the PMMR was endometroid. In Ruby, it's 55%. So it's it's quite constant. So on the opposite, DMMR is usually endometroid. So it's it's the opposite. Now, answering your question, uh, obviously, if a patient is low grade, has positive ERPR, has no threatening, life-threatening metastasis, you have to start with uh, hormonal therapy. That's the first choice, I think. And there the trials uh, are ongoing or will start soon. But if a patient is in need for chemotherapy and she's B53 wild type, I would consider Selenexone. Mm, very but well. You can, if you can give hormonal treatment as first choice, I would always start. And then later on, these patients get chemotherapy in a later setting. Excellent. And 
if by the way allowed in the export they can have hormonal treatment uh, before so that's not an exclusion very well now um ignas this question comes from jessica mauro in italy and she asks do you see any contraindications or any setting where you would not start selling Arxor? Um, according to my experience and also the label, there is no real contraindication for Selenexor. Of course, if a patient is uh, 89 years old and you have given her uh, chemotherapy and she is in complete remission, you might say, well, I will not take and bother about Selenexor. But, but, but pure contraindications, uh, not according to the label and not to my uh, in, in my experience with Selenexor. Yeah. And Ignace, this last question is from Giuseppe Caruso and uh, sort of like predicting into the future. Um, he says, if you needed to make a bet, uh, do you think the NGOT N20 GOG30A3 export trial will confirm the efficacy of Selenexor in patients with B53 wild type endometrial cancer? Of course, I'm not sure, but I would bet a lot of money <laughs> into it because it's 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 according to the mode of action. If you look on the long-term PFS and the long-term, uh, not the long-term, but immature OS data, all directs, all goes in the same direction that it seems to be quite positive, very positive, certainly for the P53 wild type group. So I would be very surprised. If it's negative, so um, I'm quite positive that we might have another uh, possibility to treat our patients with uh, recurrent or advanced endometrial cancer in the future. Yes, and and I uh, certainly seen the trajectory of the development of uh, of the drug and the data. I completely agree with you. I would also be very very surprised, but we're we're very excited about the trial, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, uh, accruing patients in our center as well. Um, Ignaz Virgo, thank you so, so much once again uh, for the discussion. Thank you for your initiative in, um, in developing, implementing, and completing this study. Uh, thank you for the work that you have done, uh, of course, and all the contributions you've made to gynecologic oncology. Great admiration for you. Thank you once again. Thank you for that. My pleasure.